I regret to inform you that your condition is terminal. You and I have all been afflicted with terminal gifting, and there's nothing we can do about it. Or is there? Here we come to the first of of three very contentious and debated passages. In particular, much ink has been spilled and much hot air blown about what this means in relation to whether or not certain spiritual gifts have ceased or continue to be. And I will touch on that debate because it is controversial. However, I hope you'll see that this debate is not really the main point of the passage. Paul's intent here, as he's writing, is not to articulate when gifts may or may not have ended, but his point, as has been really for the last uh, two chapters, has been to argue for the supremacy of love over and above that of spiritual gifts. That's his main point. In the last, and so in light of the temporary nature of gifts, in light of the terminality of these gifts, how does that affect our, how we interact with these spiritual gifts? How does that affect how we use these gifts? In the last passage, Paul introduced what he believes is the key to addressing that question. He calls this the more excellent way. And this way is love. And my intent this morning to, is, is to explore the relationship between love and spiritual gifts based on what Paul writes and then draw some conclusions for how that applies to our life. And so I'm going to break down the message very simply. Two propositions or two truths. The first is that spiritual gifts are terminal. And the second is that love is enduring. And then we'll come to the conclusion. Number one, spiritual gifts are terminal. Have you ever received a gift that disappointed? And I'm not, I'm not talking about the fruitcake that your Aunt Sally gave you. I'm not talking about the photo album that you received in 2018 instead of, 20, instead of 1998. I'm talking about a gift that you were really excited about, that you really loved, and that you really thought this is the best thing since sliced bread. Have you ever received such a gift? The first year was incredible. The second year was still pretty good. The third year was functional. The fourth year It was more trouble than what it was worth. And by the fifth year, it was time to move on. I'm talking about my 1992 Toyota Camry XLE. When I was uh, in high school, my aunt promised me that she would purchase a car for me if I graduated with a certain GPA. And... As a high school senior, I had saved up enough money to buy a little Toyota Corolla 1985, Um, but it could barely get up hills when I was carrying five basketball players after practice, and they would tease me endlessly. I'd say, hey, at least I've got a car. 
But I was looking forward to a nice car, one with leather, one with a V6 engine, one with power windows and door locks, one with an antenna that I didn't have to pull out with by my hand. You remember that? Some of you. Pull it out. My radio's not working. Oh, shoot, I forgot to pull out the antenna. And I remember, sure enough, I graduated high school with the right GPA. My aunt gave me an $8,000 check to go and buy the car of my 18-year-old dreams. And so I bought the 1992 uh, Toyota Camry, and I thought, I'm set. This is, this is it. Like, I don't need another car, maybe forever. <laughs> Five years later, the Scion dealer told me that he would be gracious enough to give me $500 as a trade-in for that Toyota Camry. What I came to find out is that all gifts have an expiration date. All gifts have a shelf life. And in the same way that material gifts have a shelf life, spiritual gifts also have a shelf life. One of the big questions is how long is that shelf life? Paul is clearly saying in this passage that at least some spiritual gifts, namely prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, cease. They, they stop, they pass away, or they cease. The question is when. Paul says this will happen when the perfect comes in verse 10. What Paul doesn't do is explicitly define what that perfect is referring to. Now, for some over the years, um, we understood the perfect to mean uh, several potential different things. Some people have understood perfect to mean uh, the, the completing uh, of the canon of Scripture. So at the time Paul's writing, all the New Testament is not written, okay? And so some people say the perfect is when the New Testament is completed and everyone agrees what those books are. Some people have said that the perfect is Jesus himself. When Jesus comes, that's the perfect. Some have said that it is the maturation of the church. When the church matures, that's the perfect coming, and that's when the gifts will cease. And others have said the perfect is an individual's entering into the presence of God. That is the perfect. And so depending on what you believed, it often defined which camp you fell in as it relates to at least these particular gifts. On the one hand, if you thought that the perfect was the coming of Scripture, the completion of the New Testament, then what necessarily followed is these gifts, prophecy, tongues, knowledge, and perhaps other revelatory gifts, also ceased at that time. On the other hand, if you believe that the perfect coming has to do with Jesus and his second coming, then these gifts are still in effect. They're still useful until the revelation of Jesus. And let me just, uh, so these two positions, theological terms, they're called cessationism on the one hand and continuationism on the other hand. So you'll see those terms, cessationism, continuation, continuationism. And let me cut to the chase a little bit 
to say that we as Harambe Church, and as part of the Soma family of churches, officially hold the doctrinal position of continuationists. So that's our official position. But I will say that this debate is an in-house debate. You know what I mean by that? That means that like, we don't doubt other people's salvation based on that doctrine. It is something we hold with open hands. It's, it's okay to believe one or the other. We do take a position, but we're not going to disengage in fellowship because of it. The, uh, the doctrine of cessationism versus continuationism. So cessationism, on the one hand, believing that certain gifts have ceased. Continuationism, believing that all the gifts mentioned in Scripture continue until Jesus comes back. Those are the two positions. Okay, And uh, one of our elders holds the cessationist position. Okay? So we, it's okay. It's not, we're not disengaging fellowship because of that. And there's actually some good scriptural reasons to hold the cessationist position. From, a, from our particular passage, it's very clear that Paul is discussing a cessation of some gifts. There's, there's no meaningful debate around that. Everyone agrees that gifts, at least some gifts, do cease at some point. The debate is around what point. And the cessationists will say, they'll look at this passage, some, there's other arguments, but we're just going to focus on this passion, or this passage. Paul says the point at which the gifts cease is when the perfect comes. And there are, uh, there's this basically uh, two sides of the coin. There's before pre-perfect world and post-perfect world. In the pre-perfect world, he says, uh, there's this partialness. There's this in part. We know in part. We prophesy in part. Okay? But when the perfect comes, then the partiality or the in part, it ends. And so something, the perfect, namely, brings about completion. So we go from incomplete to complete. And so the question then is, what existed in part that if you completed it would make things would make these gifts not needed anymore does that make sense what could you complete that would make these gifts not needed anymore and so it's sort of like a riddle what do these gifts have in common prophecy tongues knowledge they're all revelatory gifts revelations from God. You get these words from God in all those three. And so the cessationists would say the scripture is the direct revelation from God. When we have the fullness of the counsel of scripture, that's the point at at which prophecy, tongues, knowledge are no longer needed. That's one argument. That's not the only argument for cessationism, but that's one of the ones that has been made in the past from this passage. Now, what I'd like to do is briefly look at a couple of reasons why I think this passage would actually more naturally tend towards a continuationist view of these gifts. 
Number one, Paul's writing seems to indicate that Paul himself understood the gifts, uh, understood that the gifts would be in operation until Jesus came back. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes this. This is the same letter. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most people would understand that language, the day of our Lord, the revelation of Jesus Christ, to be referring to the coming of Jesus Christ at the end of times. And so what Paul is saying is you have these spiritual gifts that you don't lack in any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for this time to come. Secondly, if we go back to our current passage, I think there's reason to believe that he has this same revelation in mind as he's talking about these gifts. You'll see in in verses uh, 11 through 12, he draws three comparisons. Let me read uh, those verses. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. And so there's three comparisons. Childhood to adult. uh, Mirror seeing in a mirror versus seeing face to face. And then knowing in part versus knowing fully. In all of these three images, it seems that they speak of a time that can only be true when Jesus comes back. This idea of face-to-face being, you know, you see in the mirror, things are not necessarily murky, like mirrors are clear, but there's still a difference between seeing my wife in the mirror versus seeing her directly. There is this idea of we know in part and then we'll know fully, not just fully as God knows us fully. And it's a type of knowledge that seems like we don't have today. Yes, we have the completed scriptures, but I'm, I still, there's a lot I don't know. And I can't say that I know fully as God fully knows me. To me, that time only happens when Christ comes back. So that's the first reason. It seems like Paul, as I read through this, it seems like Paul has in mind that these gifts are just extending until Jesus comes back. The second reason is that Paul says to pursue revelatory gifts without any qualification as to their ending. And so I'm just going to rattle through a list, several verses. Paul says this in in verse, um, in chapter 12, verse 31. But desire the greater gifts. And he says that right after he names a list of gifts, which includes prophecy, one of the gifts that will cease. Chapter 14, verse 1, he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. Chapter 14, verse 5, I wish that all of you spoke in other languages but even more that you prophesied. 
Verse 13, the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he can interpret. And finally, verse 39, so then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So with so much exhortation from Paul to actually pursue these gifts, if he thought there was a chance that these gifts might cease sometime in their lifetime, it seems odd that he doesn't qualify those statements. He could have. He could have said, pursue these gifts for the time being until Peter and I are finished writing the scriptures. He could have said that, but he didn't say that. He says, you should desire prophecy and tongues. During, desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, period. And so his basic instruction to the church, and presumably to every church, is to do just that. With, as my mom used to say, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And so I think Paul's general instruction is something that we can actually follow. Pursue these spiritual gifts. And if, if God is not giving these gifts today, then he simply won't give it. But we're not wrong to pursue them. Because I think in pursuing them, we're actually just trying to obey what God is saying. But all this to say, spiritual gifts are still temporary. Spiritual gifts are still terminal. They will cease at some point. They don't extend forever. And it's really important for us to understand that in light of the next truth, that love is enduring. The second point is love, and love is enduring Paul writes in verse 8, love never ends. Spiritual gifts may end, but love never ends. How many of you enjoy jigsaw puzzles? For those of you who enjoy them, puzzles are a great way to pass time. I wonder who invented the puzzle, the jigsaw puzzle. They took a perfectly good picture or photo tore it into pieces and said we'll sell them to other people to put them back together like it's a brilliant business idea lots of people buy puzzles my wife and I purchased a thousand piece puzzle of a picture of Santorini and we were blessed to be able to vacation there uh, last fall and wanted a fun memento of our time you can go to the slide, uh, that picture of it. I think we have it. This what? Oh, well, maybe not. We'll see. Um, we cracked the puzzle open. We spent hour after hour invested in solving this puzzle. It was so important for us to finish it uh, that we were absorbed in it for several days. And we utilized copious amounts of brain power to align shapes and colors with each other to see this puzzle completed. It was December 31st of last year, and I was working from the sky down, and Stephanie was working from the ground up. 
Um, and we were trying to finish the puzzle before 2017 ended. Midnight came, and there were still many holes in the puzzle. So we paused, we shared a kiss, and then we fiercely continued to finish the puzzle. And there was an unspoken competition that was at play <laughs> as we were finishing the puzzle. She had her, the bottom side, I had the top side, and it was maybe half an hour after midnight, I had about 10 blue pieces left, and Stephanie says, done! And then, she says, then she says, do you need any help? <laughs> I think I rolled my eyes at that point. I mean, the sky is the hardest part, right? <laughs> now, after all this time and brain power that we invested into completing this jigsaw puzzle, what do you think we did with the puzzle? We framed it and hung it on the wall? No. We did what 99% of other people do with puzzles. We looked at it for a while, and then we tore it all apart and put it back in the box where it sat ever since. The other day, I was reflecting on how jigsaw puzzles are like a little picture of life. We have a project, and for a season, it's super important. We spend money, we get training, we collaborate, we absorb ourselves in the project, and then it's over. And there's this sort of anticlimactic feeling to the completion of it. Projects, they're destined to end, just like puzzles. The end value is not really found in the completed puzzle or project. Like, we didn't keep the puzzle intact because that wasn't actually the point. What is memorable is the time that I spent with Stephanie completing the puzzle. What was even more memorable was what it represented in our time in Santorini together. The puzzle was merely a means or a vessel that was used to extend this shared experience that that I had with Stephanie. You see, puzzles are not meant to last. Projects are not meant to last. Tools, time, resources, even gifts are not meant to last. But the point at which they intersect with people, where relationships are fostered and developed, where, where real humans connect with each other, that's the point at which there's real meaning. That's the point at which there's real life. It's not the tools in themselves. It's not the gifts in themselves. It's what they help facilitate in real relationships. That's the point. And that's where we find something that isn't terminal. That's where we find something that does continue. That's where we find something that does endure. And that's called love. Love is necessarily about people. Love has nothing to do with material things and gifts and tools and projects and puzzles. It is the people who are on the other side of those things. In visiting Santorini, um, or visiting Santorini was a dream of Stephanie's. To make that help make that on a boat in the Aegean.
But the big win, revisit those times. I was able to love her well in that. That was the big win for me. When we get to heaven, you know what's not going to be there? The completed puzzle of Santorini. But what will be there are the memories of the very real experiences that I've had with Stephanie over the years. Have you ever stopped to think that the relationships you have now in Christ are forever relationships? Isn't that incredible? The things that last, that extend into eternity, are, are, the, are the relationships that we have with other people. The memories that we share are, are not terminal. They don't end. They continue out for eternity. And that gives them real and lasting significance and meaning. I know it does for me. And that's Paul's point. Like, Focusing on the gifts, focusing on the projects, focusing on the tools is missing the only thing that carries forward into any lasting significance. It's not, it's not to say that we don't do these things, that we don't use gifts, that we don't use tools. They're useful only so far as they're connected to people. Because using those gifts for people is love. And love endures. Spiritual gifts are terminal. Love endures. And on the basis of those, I want to get to the conclusion. This is a mouthful. But it'll be up on the screen, maybe. Spiritual gifts, apart from love are woefully incomplete. But when they are rooted in love, they produce fruit that extends into eternity. That's not it, is it? Spiritual gifts are to be sought after, but root them in love. Hmm. Did someone change the, the PowerPoint at some point? <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. All right, all right, all right, cool. No problem. All right. So I'll read it again. Spiritual gifts apart from love are woefully incomplete, but when they are rooted in love, they produce fruit that extends into eternity. So spiritual gifts, um, the problem that we have as humans is that we are so prone to think otherwise. Jesus teaches that it's better to give than to receive precisely because we believe it's better to receive than to give. That's why he has to have a teaching on it. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever dreamed of being great? Be honest with yourself. What was the content of that vision? For me, it depended on what stage of life it was in. As a teenager, it was dreams of being a professional athlete. As a young man in my 20s, it was dreams of being a really successful businessman. The, the theme that united those dreams was of me on a pedestal with other people saying how successful I was. Have you ever dreamed of being great? There's an appeal to it, right? And, and the skills, the talents... 
and the gifts that can help make us great all of a sudden get a lot of value and a lot of importance if we believe that that will help us achieve those goals. Today, this has increasingly taken on the form of um, what they call building your brand or building your platform. People are, are curating their lives into a LinkedIn profile or an Instagram feed. And this is the game that's played where you need to call attention to your most attractive qualities or your best gifts so that you get more followers, so that you can get more rewards, so that you can be great. It's, it's interesting. This is advice that's given in the business world. Build your brand. Build your platform. Call attention to your skills because if you don't, no one else will. It's part of our culture. It doesn't matter what sector or industry or field of study you're in. It doesn't matter what your domain of experience or expertise is in. This self-promoting mindset exists, and it seems in some way is only magnified by social media and modern technology. And don't think that the church is, not, is, is immune to this. Do you know that you think because I'm a pastor now that that I'm not tempted in this way? If I'm honest, I've, I've thought to myself, wouldn't it be nice to preach to thousands of people? Wouldn't it be nice to write books that people actually buy? Wouldn't that be nice to be great? But I'm doing it for the Lord, though, of course. It's the caveat, right, to justify it. big question is for what end did you know that I will be out of a job when I get to heaven but pastors and teachers are not needed in heaven why they don't need we don't need to be taught by men when we have Jesus in our presence I'll be out of a job it, it, it helps to put things into perspective that something that I could wrap so much of my identity in will be gone someday. It will cease. Imagine if you came to God with your LinkedIn profile. Look, Lord, I speak in tongues and 103 people endorse my preaching. And my Instagram following is 749 people. And God will say, well, you should have been at 1,000. Then maybe you'll be useful. I kid. But if we're not careful, it's, it's so easy to get caught up in a culture of self-promotion. And this is actually the very thing that the Corinthians here are struggling with. This is what they're doing. They're taking God's spiritual gifts. And we're going to see in 14 that Paul starts to zero in on the particular spiritual gift that they're lifting up. It's tongues. And they're using that gift to magnify themselves. 
to magnify their brand and their platform to get the followers so they can be great. And every single person in this room has been guilty of this. You can see it in your daydreams. You can see it in your social media feeds. You can see it in how you spend your money, your time, and your resources. And, and, and don't hear this as a condemnation of social media. Right? What I'm trying to get at is the motivation of the heart. That's really the issue. And it's not that easy. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? And this is where it's really crucial for us to understand that simply knowing that love is greater than spiritual gifts is not enough. It's not enough to actually produce transformation. It's not for lack of knowing that we choose to be selfish. We just like being selfish. We know that we should love others, but we often choose not to because we prefer to love ourselves over others. That's the problem. It's not a knowledge problem. The solution, the solution is not knowledge of what's right. The solution is knowledge of who's right. God knew and foresaw our struggle. And so he came and he entered that struggle with us in his son Jesus. And the good news is that Jesus lived perfectly righteous before God. Perfectly selfless. Laying down his rightful position to die for us. Where we were selfish, Jesus was perfectly selfless. Where we were, where we desired to be great, Jesus desired to serve. And while we sought to place ourselves on a pedestal, we placed Jesus on the cross. And Jesus, though he had the power and the ability and the right to avoid it, chose not to because of love. Not because we deserved it. Not because of our gifts. Not because of our platform. Not because of how many followers or likes we had. But solely because God loved us. He chose to die for us. And that's the good news. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And if we know the one who lived righteously on our behalf and believe in him, it changes our mindset on how we approach spiritual gifts. That through Jesus, we can understand gifts is not a means to build up our own personal brand because guess what? In Christ... We're already accepted. We're already loved. We're already great in Him, rooted in Jesus. So we don't need to seek gifts to show off. 
we can show off Christ who's gifted us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And, and by his grace, we can then begin to intersect the gifts that he gives us to love the people that he places in front of us and experience the joy and satisfaction that comes from knowing that that, that fruit of love will endure forever. Here this morning, and you felt insignificant, or you felt like I gotta, I gotta draw more attention to myself. I, I want my prayer is that God would help us to reorient our thoughts on Him, to focus on what Jesus did for us, to know that we don't have a need to seek after that. That, the, that it really is more blessed to give than to receive because we've already received the most important thing we could ever get, and that's a son. Let me pray for us as we will continue into communion. Father, I, I thank you so much for your word.